Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. Down one nothing to the Jazz, the Mavericks may have to figure things out without Luka Doncic yet again. The Celtics took Game 1 from the Nets in dramatic fashion. Plus, after a lopsided loss in Game 1, can the Grizzlies pick up the pieces? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. The Dallas Mavericks fell to the Utah Jazz in game one on Saturday. And according to reports, Luka will not be available in game two for the Mavericks, which leaves a <sighs> hole for Dallas. That sigh you heard came from our pal Nick Maxad from Locked On Mavs. Nick, this is a team that if you if you just read Twitter after the game, you'd think that Dallas was a 70-win team because everyone was like, well, if Luka plays, this is a sweep. Well, if Luka's not going to play, even just two games, how does that change this series? Well, it gives the Jazz an extremely big handicap, right? Like, especially if he's going to miss game two. He's listed as officially doubtful for that game. I did not expect him to play in this game. We're hopeful that he's going to play Thursday on game three in Utah. But it gives the Jazz this incredible advantage to be up you know, 2-0. Like, there's, this, there's all these stats that are like... The, you know, the team that goes up 2-0 wins the series, what, like 80, 75% of the time or something like that. And so now, uh, hopefully, Game 2 happens and the Mavericks learn from what they did in Game 1, right? We, we saw in Game 1, the Mavericks were the only team on Saturday that didn't get thoroughly outplayed by the other team. And it was kind of surprising. It was kind of surprising to see this Mavericks defense hold up the way that it did and the Mavericks compile enough points to keep it close late in this game. So let's say they do go down Oh, two. What what percentage of Luca do they need for game three and beyond to try and get back in this series and steal it? Man, it's hard to put a percentage on it. I'd say like 75, 80 percent. They need some extra buckets. They just need buckets here or there. And they need uh, a couple areas of their offense that they just can't access right now. They can't access any of their pick and roll stuff right now. The, the Jazz are too good at defending the pick and roll. Rudy Gobert, just let's let's just say Rudy Gobert himself is too good at defending the pick and roll. It registered Dwight Powell just almost completely useless on offense in the pick and roll because they couldn't run anything. They, they can't run the lobs. They can't do the stuff in the pick and roll that Luka can do. And that stuff doesn't take a lot of lift, doesn't take a lot of, of run from Luka, doesn't take a lot of burst. It just takes him with his incredible timing to be able to time some of that stuff and to throw up a pass to, you know, to Dwight Powell. So if they have that area of their game working, the step back threes, he's probably going to need a little bit of, of burst for that, but that's more about timing too. That's what Luka's game is really all predicated on. So I think they need a, a decent percentage of Luka because if they do get down in an 0-2 hole, they're going to need you know, 4-0 or you know, they have to get, they're going to have to go 4-0 or 4-1 over these next five games. And that's a tall task to ask for any team. They're going to need a, a really good Luka to do that. So is there is there a roadmap? What is the roadmap to getting a win in game two without Luka? Because it wasn't like the the as you mentioned, it wasn't like they got thoroughly outplayed without their superstar. They found a way to scratch and claw and get this game. It was nip and tuck the whole way. So what do they need to do to just just push it a little bit further to give them a little bit of cushion for when Luka can eventually come back? Yeah, the Mavs defensive game plan, I thought, in game one was pretty perfect. Like, it's pretty much what you would want. They force the Jazz off the three-point line. The Jazz lead the league in threes. They take like 40 a game in the regular season. They only took 22 in game one. 
and they forced him off that line. They forced Bogdanovich to beat them on the mismatches. And, you know, he had 26. Uh, Donovan Mitchell had that incredible 19 point third quarter. And so, uh, but before that he had like two points in the first half, they were really denying him. They were denying anything to the basket to Rudy Gobert. He had one field goal attempt <laughs> in the whole game. Mm. Uh, and so that those areas of the game that the Mavericks tried to take away, they really did. And they have to continue to do that and then just cobble together some more offense. I mean, we, we were saying on lockdown maps, you can look at this game one of two ways. You can say, well, you know, that was the chance for the Mavericks. They had all these things go right for them. Donovan Mitchell was bad in the first half. Rudy Gobert didn't get anything on offense at all. They were, you know, the Jazz were shooting bad. And all of a sudden the Mavericks were just right there at the end. And it was, it was right there for the taking. They were only down one with a minute left to go. But you could also look at it and say, well, the Mavericks shot you know, 38% from the floor and they uh, you know, shot 28% from three. And then the Mavericks have another level that they can go, you know, hopefully, as an offense and be able to take game two. So you can look at it one of two ways. Either that was their chance or this team showed that they can actually do something without Luka. Thanks for making Locked On today your first listen. Coming up, the Celtics began their series with the Nets in dramatic fashion. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can win on Sleeper by playing their new daily fantasy over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the daily fantasy over under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times your entry. The main reason I'm excited about daily fantasy over unders on Sleeper is that it's the only app where I can join my buddies' contests and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friends' picks with the tap of a button. And it's insanely fun to ride it together and to make fun of them when it doesn't work. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new daily fantasy over-under game. Have fun with your friends and win. Make sure to use promo code LOCKEDON today, and Sleeper will match your first deposit up to $100. They're just going to give you money. Again, that's Sleeper with promo code LOCKEDON today when you deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms and use for details. Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all your daily gambling needs. Let's look at some point spreads for Monday's NBA playoff games. The Utah Jazz are favored to win their second game against the Dallas Mavericks. Without Luka, Bet Online likes the Jazz minus five and a half point favorites. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. After some surmising the pseudo-advantage the Toronto Raptors would have at home with Canada's vaccine policy for athletes, the Raptors may be without three key players for Game 2 in Philadelphia Monday night. Nick Nurse said Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent, and Thaddeus Young are all unlikely to play tonight against the Sixers. I mean, listen, it doesn't look good for any of those guys, Nick Nurse said after Sunday's practice at Temple University. They're all going to be listed as probably doubtful, so it doesn't look good for any of them We'll evaluate them as we go and see where we end up. Not a problem of vaccine issues, just a question of health. The New York Mets look really good to begin the 2022 season. The New York Mets have played three series this season. They have won three series this season. That's all you can ask for a good baseball team. This is Ryan Fickelstein, the host of Locked On Mets. It was a very convincing 5 to nothing victory on Sunday. 
David Peterson continued what has been happening all year for this Mets team. They get great starting pitching for the year through 10 games, two times in the rotation, a 1.07 ERA from the Mets starting pitchers. Late in the game, you get some good runs. Pete Alonso hits the two-run homer that ultimately capped off all of the scoring, but this Mets team, top to bottom, finds a way to win ball games. The bullpen even looked great today. All together, just another joyous weekend of Mets baseball. This team looking like the clear-cut favorite early on in the National League East. One of the five best players in baseball, Ronald Acuna Jr., will begin a rehab assignment with AAA Gwinnett on Tuesday. Acuna is close to return that will be less than 12 months from the day he tore his ACL and ended his 2021 campaign. Leading up to that fateful July 10th day, he had 24 home runs, a 990 OPS, and he'd been firmly entrenched in the NL MVP race. His return will be a huge boost for the Braves as they chase down the Mets in the NL East. And the Dodgers, well, they stomped the hapless Reds. To paraphrase Bunny and Tigra from Latrim, we like the bats, the bats that go boom. What's up, it's Jeff from Locked On Dodgers. The Dodgers finished their four-game sweep of the Cincinnati Reds, winning the series finale 9-1 on Sunday afternoon behind a great performance by Andrew Heaney once again and an offensive outburst. Dodgers scoring seven runs in the fourth inning, two more in the eighth inning. No word on how Bunny and Tigra from Latrium felt about Andrew, Andrew Heaney shoving, but I assume they would have liked it. I know I do. Uh, Vince and I are going to have a ton to talk about with Andrew Heaney's second straight start. It answers some questions. We still don't have all the answers, but we do know that uh, the answer to when will Andrew Heaney's first bad game be wasn't Sunday, Easter Sunday, uh, because he was awesome, even better than his first start. The offense came through Freddie Freeman's first four-hit game as a Dodger. The only downside, Trey Turner's hitting streak ended uh, at 27 games, but small price to pay for a six-game winning streak. Dodgers are now 7-2. Is another story you need to know. It was the game of the weekend in the NBA playoffs. An absolute classic. Jason Tatum's spinning, twirling layup as time expires stuns the Brooklyn Nets in a 115-114 game. Joining me now from the arena and from Locked On Celtics, John Corrales. John, this was a last play here where the, the Celtics get the ball with a chance to call timeout and set something up. They don't. It is a scramble situation, and they convert it into the game-winning bucket. What did you see on that last possession? There, there are so many ways, like just chapters in this story here. So they get the stop. Marcus Smart and, and uh, Al Horford get the stop on Kyrie. He kicks it over to, to Kevin Durant. Jason Tatum gets the stop on Durant, forces a tough shot. Then the Celtics get the ball, and Ime is waving them on. So step one, no timeout. We're like, Okay, you know, I've seen this from Ime before. He likes it. He likes having Goran Dragic on the floor. If you call a timeout, then then Dragic comes off and they put in better defenders. You so that they they keep it moving. Now Jalen Brown gets the ball and he's pushing and I think, well, here comes Jalen. He's going to get the last shot. Nope. He makes the pass over to Marcus Smart. I think, well, here comes Marcus. Marcus is going to get the last shot. He doesn't. He upfakes and then makes a pass to a cutting Jason Tatum. Who spins and gets the and gets that final lay in? It's just like the anticipation builds after each thing. It's like no timeout, no shot from Jalen, no shot from Marcus. Oh my God! And then it's at the buzzer. So there's always this like 
the place explodes. I've never heard it this loud in here. And then you, you got to get that confirmation from the, the officiating crew. They, luckily, they were quick with it, and you didn't have, like, it w- wasn't totally anticlimactic. But the moment after the game where, where Al Horford just buried his head into Tatum's chest, like, thank you. Uh, th- I can't begin to explain how deep just that final 30 seconds goes for the Boston Celtics. There's so many stories in that final 30 seconds. What what story do you think we're going to pull out, not just from that 30 seconds, but from this game as we head into game two? Because my initial reaction is, please give me seven of these. Give yeah. me six more. I think everyone, except maybe in the Celtics and Nets locker room, would sign up for that because this, this is going to be a taxing series if that's what they're able to do. But what is the story that you're going to come away with that you think is relevant as we move through this series from this game? Yeah, well, I mean, I think in this particular game, the, the positive story for the Celtics is they managed to pull one out when they kind of broke a few rules. Like, you, you can't lose the minutes when Kevin Durant is sitting on the bench, and they did badly. Uh, they gave the Brooklyn Nets a a five-point lead with five and a half minutes to go. And the fact that they were able to come back after that, and, and really, the beginning of that fourth quarter, the first seven and a half minutes of that fourth quarter, I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, no. This this team's reverting back to what it used to be. This is maybe maybe these past few months have been a smokescreen. And luckily, well, I shouldn't even say luckily because they've worked hard to get to this point. They were able to turn this around and they were able to stabilize and make the plays and get the stops. So even on a night where I think maybe they were a little rusty or a little frazzled or a little rushed, not their best, and certainly Brooklyn wasn't their best either. They were able to kind of compose themselves in one of the in one of the big storylines coming in was can the Celtics pull out a, a clutch situation? Can they pull out a late fourth quarter game? They were actually able to do that against the team that everybody was afraid of. So the fact that they were able to, I think that bodes well. I think the Celtics can come out of this and say, all right, we weren't our best, but look, we closed out against the Brooklyn Nets, and now we can get ourselves together, clean up some things, and head into game two with a ton of confidence. Coming up, the Memphis Grizzlies got surprised by the Minnesota Timberwolves in game one. Can John Moran and company bounce back? Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It is truly something unique in the health food space. It doesn't taste like a health food. And that's something that every health food company claims. And trust me, I've tried. I have walked up and down the aisles at the, the health food grocery stores and tried everything. This is a product that delivers like nothing else I have ever tried. Truly, I, I cannot I cannot tell you enough how impressed I have been with not just the first time I tasted it, but now we're going on two years of me eating them and buying them for myself in my own home and believing in this product. They're high in fiber, high in protein, like you would want. They're low in calorie, low in net carb, like you would want, but they taste delicious. Also, like you would want. They come in all kinds of great flavors. They've got puff brands and they're always coming out with new and different flavors and variations that you should check out because they go fast when they show up. Go to built.com and use promo code LOCKS15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKS15 for 15% off at built.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the Day. One of the big shockers of the weekend in the NBA playoffs, the Memphis Grizzlies, the two seed, they fall 
to the Minnesota Timberwolves who had to get through the play-in just to get into the postseason. The Wolves winning 131-17. Joining me now from Locked on Grizzlies, Sean Coleman. And Sean, what do the Grizzlies need to do to get this back on track in game two? Oh, it's very simple. They're going to have to be able to get off to a good start. That's exactly what that what occurred. Um, they went down forty-one to thirty-three uh, in the uh, first quarter of Game One. The Grizzlies were the best for, first quarter team, arguably. Um, you know, since the calendar turned to two thousand twenty-two in the NBA season. And the thing is, is that these are two teams that are more built to play with the lead than they are to play from behind. But especially the Grizzlies, because sixteen to seven was the three-point differential, Peter, in in Game One. It's very hard. To the way the Grizzlies play, for them to be able to try to come back into a game if they're not going to shoot the three to the level that the Wolves are. And, and the Wolves are just a better three-point shooting team. So we got to get off to a better start. And we've also got to make sure that, you know, hey, the, for much of the game, the two best offensive players are not Wolves like it was for much of the game with Anthony um, Edwards as well as Carl Anthony Towns. So, you know, in some way, shape, or form containing those two, not letting another uh, big game happen for another player like Malik Beasley. But to me, the biggest thing of all is we were the best first quarter team in the NBA for much of the season. We got to play like it in game two. You mentioned Anthony Edwards. He goes for 36 in his playoff debut, true playoffs games. We're talking about not playing games. What, what can the Grizzlies do to slow him down a little bit better? Pray (laughs) and I'll joke it aside, but no, the, the, the thing is, is that uh, they really, to be honest with you, the Grizzlies I'm not necessarily totally disappointed with how they defend him. You know, some of the opportunities that were there, they were able to keep him from his normal, you know, driving opportunities that he had during games. But, you know, keep on contesting shots. You just have to hand it to him. that They're going to have to put Desmond Bain and, and Dylan Brooks on him in, in a lot of situations. They're going to have to make sure, unlike early in the game on Saturday, that they don't have as many situations where Steven Adams is on Anthony Edwards. But at the end of the day, you're just going to have to keep contesting shots. The thing that we can just tip our hat to is that Anthony Edwards made a lot of tough shots on Saturday. So it's not really for them to change up what they've done. It's just that they're going to have to lock down more consistently in order to contest his shots and you know, hope he doesn't have as much success making the tough ones like he did Saturday. Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., they go a combined 10 for 28 from the field in game one. How can Memphis get those guys going? Because the thing that has been so great about the Grizzlies all season is they go eight, 10 guys deep. They can get scoring. They can get defense and playmaking from everywhere. They didn't on Saturday night. Absolutely. They're going to have to find mismatches for Jaron Jackson Jr. to be able to get the ball low, um, you know, get him inside and outside. They're going to have to find those opportunities. He was 0 from 5 from 3 as well. The other big thing is that they're going to have to find the ability to, to, to prioritize the 3, whether that's you know, opportunities where they drive and kick. It's opportunities where they get get out in the corner and find three-point opportunities. 27, seven threes on 27 attempts just aren't going to cut it. If the Grizzlies are going to have, you know, 12, 15, 18 less three-point attempts per game than the, than the Timberwolves, it's, it's probably not going to work out too well for the Grizzlies. So they're going to have to prioritize highly high percentage shots from three, especially corner threes for Jaron and Dylan and others. Dylan did an excellent job overcoming no one else really stepping up to support Desmond Bain, but they're going to have to prioritize looks from three, especially high percentage one, working off what Jaw can do in the paint. And finally, Jordan Spieth sure likes golfing on Easter. For the second straight year, Spieth won a PGA tournament on Easter Sunday. This one, the RBC Heritage. Spieth dropped a 56-foot shot from the greenside bunker 
seven inches from the hole. He then tapped in for par to beat Patrick Cantlay in a playoff on Harbor Town's signature 18th hole. For what it's worth, next year's Easter Sunday is the final round of the Masters. Thanks for making Locked On today your first listen. For your second listen, download Locked On Bets, all the gambling advice you need in about 20 minutes. Coming up Tuesday, a couple of key series will be in game two. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today.